And I also want to say thank you to our worship team for leading us in worship and praise this morning, reminding us of the greatness of our God and the sufficiency of our God and, and why we have so much to thank him for. Amen. Well, it was 1991 and I was a senior in high school and I don't know if they still do it these days, but back then every class had their motto. So class of 91 has more fun. That was our motto. I think we could have come up with something better, but hey, yeah, I was having a great time. I was a senior. I was uh, having a good year academically. I was going to finish pretty high up there. I was having a good year in sports. I was having a good year uh, with our youth group and being part of the leadership team of our youth group at church. It was all, it was all fun until one uh, spring afternoon, I came home uh, walking back to our apartment there in El Paso, Texas. Um, all of our, my sister and brother and I would arrive at different times, depending on who was doing what after school. And that day I arrived, uh, I was the first one home. Maybe basketball was over, I don't remember exactly. So I was the first one to arrive and find a note in an envelope with my name on it. And it was my father's goodbye letter. And he was writing one of them to all of us in the house. I knew my parents were having marriage struggles, but never did I imagine it was at that point. My dad and I weren't necessarily close at that time, but, but he was part of our family and, and, and it, it, it surprised me and it shocked me. Uh, not only the note itself, but how I felt in that moment. I don't recall the details of what he said or why he was leaving, but I do remember very vividly my anguish, a sobbing that came out of me probably for the first time in my life with a grief that overwhelmed me, my entire being, like a gigantic unexpected tsunami wave coming over me. Uh, it was a loss that I felt in my deepest soul, as if I knew even then, although I couldn't really know in that moment, but I knew how this loss would, would affect the rest of my life. It's as if it darkened my view of the future. Time would thankfully heal some of that pain and our relationship would have some aspects that, that got restored through the years. And then 30 years later, this past January, uh, my father passed away from COVID complications. And that grief came over me again. I was reminded of that, but this time it was more like, like steady, slow waves kind of hitting me at unexpected times. Not a huge, overwhelming wave, but it was still deep and soul-searching for me all the same. I wonder when's the last time you've mourned either the loss of a loved one or the loss of a future, a future that gets darkened suddenly by an unexpected incident and overwhelms us. Why am I talking about this? Well, we are in a sermon series on the Beatitudes and we're looking for the distinctives of a disciple of Jesus. What are the characteristics that make a disciple according to the Lord Jesus himself, a good disciple? Pastor Julio started the series last week with Matthew 5.3 where it said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he focused on how that means the humble because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so humbleness, humility makes sense to be a, a key characteristic of a disciple of Jesus. Jesus himself modeled it for us. Uh, humility was also a strong theme in a, in a marriage retreat that my wife and I had a chance to participate in last weekend. It's called Weekend to Remember by Family Life. They do it at South Padre Island at least once a year. And, uh, and humility was a strong theme. I was reminded of how humility is so important in a thriving marriage. One of the questions that was asked was, are you being a consumer of your marriage or are you being an investor in your marriage? A consumer asks, what can I get out of marriage? 
An investor more humbly asks, what can I give? What can I contribute into this marriage? And the difference is miles apart. Uh, They were good reminders for me. And one of the things I really enjoyed about being at Weekend to Remember with my wife, we had a great time. It was just really good for us. But I also really appreciated seeing about half of the volunteer team for the Weekend to Remember were Calvary folks. And it was really cool to see them there and serving uh, people from all over the valley, all over South Texas, who came together for some encouragement on their marriages. Uh, And I think many were greatly encouraged. Uh, But humility, humility is a challenging, it's a challenging message, right? That Jesus has for us, but it is the way that Jesus has for us as well, the best way. So here we are in Matthew chapter five, and Jesus not only wants us to understand his way, but he wants to understand that, that these are values of the kingdom of heaven that he's communicating to us. Jesus is laying out countercultural ways that belong to his father's kingdom. And, you know, kingdom is kind of an old word for us, right? It's kind of like an old English word. What do we mean by kingdom? Well, it means a complete rule of life, a complete set of, of, of patterns and path for us to walk in. It's a way, so to speak. In fact, the first followers of Jesus were called followers of the way because it was a particular pattern of life that they were being invited into. That reminds me of a recent hit streaming series that introduced the world to Baby Yoda. How many of you fell in love with Baby Yoda recently, right? Yeah, so cute and cuddly. And Baby Yoda had this guardian, even though he can kind of take care of himself, he still had this guardian called the Mandalorian. And Mandalorians, as some of you may know from watching this, they're like a tribe of people, kind of secret, kind of hidden away, but they have a saying for their countercultural, sacrificial characteristics of their unique community. And they say, this is the way. Right? Whenever they're explaining their sacrifice or they're trying to help people understand why their ways are a little different, they just say, this is the way. Well, as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, we have a unique way, a unique community that we're called to participate in. Not to act weird and, and be completely cut off from the world, but to live in the world and walk according to the beat of a different drummer. Walk according to the ways of Jesus. So as Jesus lays out this Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, he's inviting his listeners to know and understand that God has a particular way for us to walk in. And it's radically different than what we might naturally assume. Not only us, but even the ultra-religious Jews of the first century, the Jews who knew the Old Testament inside and out, the Jews who had practiced ceremonious worship for centuries, They thought they had figured out the way of God. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he shows them their way was way off the mark of the way that God had for them, for us. I believe today in the 21st century, we need to ask ourselves the same question. We need to ask and clearly hear, Jesus, what are your ways? What have I assumed are your ways, but are maybe just my ways or my cultural ways or my religious upbringing ways? What are really your ways for us? because that is where we are blessed. So the way of Jesus in Matthew 5, 3 says, you're blessed if you're humble. Today in verse four, we're gonna look at the next distinctive of a disciple of Jesus, where he says in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, my first thought is, Lord, what's special about this? Doesn't everyone mourn, disciples or not? And therefore, isn't everyone comforted in some way and they get over it and move on? Humility as a Christian value, as a Christian virtue makes sense to me, but mourning, what is blessed about that? I remember my own periods of mourning and think, why is that a blessed thing? 
Well, as we look this morning, we'll see a few answers that we find in the scriptures today that I hope will encourage you as we answer this question together. What is blessed about mourning? First, we see that Jesus is offering us real hope. He says, blessed are those who mourn. And the word blessed in the Greek is a word makarioi. It looks a little bit like macaroni, but it's makarioi. And this Greek word means that Jesus declares a state or a condition of being over you. It's Jesus saying you are blessed whether you feel like it or not. It's not a contrived internal feeling of oneself. Some translations say happy are you if you so-and-so in, in, in the Beatitudes. But this is more solid than that. This word blessed is more solid. And therefore, because it is solid, we can embrace grief and lament, not try to avoid it or ignore it based on our own feelings. In the way of God, we can accept sorrow and tragedy as part of his will. And at the same time, mourn and lament it because he has a greater plan than what is occurring in the present moment. Because how, how it says in scripture, he's able to work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This is God's way, even, even if it's not man's way. Of course, as human beings, we don't wake up every morning saying, oh boy, I hope I get the chance to mourn today. I hope I get the chance to lament today. We don't wake up thinking that every morning. Our preference might be that Jesus would have said something like, blessed are those who escape suffering. That would have been better, right? That sounds more blessed to me than blessed are those who mourn. But while our preference might be that, which is, which is more like perhaps the Buddhist way to escape suffering, Jesus comes to us with a different message because he recognizes the brokenness that exists in our world. And how that brokenness at some time in our lives impacts everything. At some point in our lives, whether you're a kid or a young adult or, an, or, or a senior adult, brokenness in the world hits us, impacts us, and we begin to mourn. And Jesus, recognizing this, has a promise for us that is much more profound than escapism. He says, you will mourn, but when you do, you will be comforted. He offers us real hope. And who is this hope for? He says it very clearly. The hope is for those who mourn. Now, when Jesus says, you are blessed when you mourn, it's not applying to all expressions of sadness. You know, it's not because you mourned when you went to the buffet table and they were out of that dish that you really, really like. You know, that's not the kind of mourning he's talking about here. Or when your favorite sports team lost over the weekend. That's not the kind of mourning Jesus is referring to here. That's, that's a different kind of sadness. We'll deal with that in a different way. But when Jesus is speaking here about mourning, he's specifically referring to a profound loss. When we feel something of value has been ripped away from us as if it came out of our very soul and taken away. It could be the death of a loved one, of course. C.S. Lewis, as he, as he mourned the loss of his wife in a tragic uh, young age, he said, the death of a beloved is an amputation. It says, if you've lost a part of yourself, has been ripped away. That's one kind of mourning that Jesus refers to, but it also can refer to the, the, not only the loss of a loved one, but the loss of a future that we had hoped for, a future that we hadn't even counted on. But because of some incident, some, some event that unexpectedly comes our way, we develop a deep, deep sense of loss that darkens, darkens our view of the future such as an amputation or a partial paralysis or, or a parent 
suddenly leaving. That was the case for a guy named Alex Smith. Alex Smith was the number one draft pick of the 2005 NFL draft. He was a quarterback with a lot of promise until he suffered an excruciating leg injury called a compound spiral fracture. And as if that wasn't bad enough, soon after his surgeries, he developed an infection in his leg and stage two sepsis crept in, which not only endangered his leg, but now it put his whole life in danger. And the most likely way to save him would be to amputate his leg. Imagine being faced with that kind of a choice, especially someone who had hopes and dreams of being an NFL quarterback and of, and of riding bikes with his kids. Never did he imagine that he would have to possibly lose his leg. But that is the kind of experience that can cause us to mourn, right? It's knowing that the future will not be what you had hoped or imagined all of your life. Have you experienced the fear of a radically different future that you didn't expect because of some incident that happened? These are the things that cause us to mourn. And then there are tragedies that we mourn that happen to others, such as the Astro World concert last weekend, a tragedy when young lives are tragically ended, snuffed out all of a sudden at a concert. And that combines these two things where in addition to mourning the sudden loss of a person in this world, there's also grief over the future, the future that their loved ones envisioned now being lost forever. Such young lives not having yet reached those milestones that we wanted all of our young adults to reach. A graduation perhaps, now gone. A wedding, a first child, family reunions, and so much more. Dreams and hopes now completely out of grasp, gone in an instant. This is heavy stuff. I, I have to be honest with you, I didn't want to spend time thinking about this topic this week. It was heavy. And it was like, Lord, I wish I had a different verse to, to preach on this week. Why? Why is it? But, and, and I began even asking the question, why does Jesus bring this up so early on in his message? You know, doesn't he want to encourage people to follow him and be enthusiastic and positive? Or does he want people to run away? But one of the very first things he says is, blessed are those who mourn. How is that good news? The answer I find is that Jesus dares to say that because he is the only one capable of diving, daring to dive right into the core of our human experience, even of our worst moments, even in our most difficult times. Jesus is willing to dive into our darkest places, into our deepest needs, into our most frustrating questions and into inexplicable circumstances. And there he says, I will meet you here and I will bless you. Not only does he dare to go there with us, he promises us something more. See, as, as believers, we need to understand that Jesus calls us to embrace our losses and lament them. I'm not very good at that. I didn't grow up in, a, in an emotionally expressive home, so I've had to learn how to express emotions in a healthy way. But to mourn and to grieve are healthy expressions of our Christian faith. In the Old Testament, Israel mourned when they were invaded and sent into exile. Ezra mourned the sins of his people. Nehemiah mourned the news that Jerusalem was in ruins. And when leaders such as Jacob, Samuel, Moses, and others died, 
The nation of Israel would mourn for a length of time. Mourning is healthy and in its proper context is good for us. But some religious extremists will improperly shame us for grieving and, and offer us fake platitudes like, well, if your faith is strong enough, you really don't need to grieve. Or one of the worst I've ever heard, God needs them there in heaven. When all of your being wants to scream back, but I need them here more. The other extreme might shame us for not suffering enough, as if suffering is the only thing that makes us more like God. Neither of these extremes is healthy or Christian. But while God encourages honest, healthy mourning, he does instruct us. He does give us some guidance. He does instruct his people not to mourn in the same ways that the pagans did, those who did not have the same hope that God offers Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who have passed away, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I've been privileged to, to witness different cultures of the world and the way different cultures express mourning. And sometimes in cultures where that it, that, that it, there's not much of a presence of the gospel or the hope of Christ, a funeral can be such a wailing and such a despairing moment. But Paul tells us through the scripture and Jesus affirms that we, we don't have to grieve the way mankind does who has no hope. We're called to grieve and to mourn with a different perspective than the world has. But why? We need to know why. And Jesus himself tells us the reason why we are blessed as disciples who mourn. He says, they shall be comforted. Now, at first I read that and I say, well, okay, you know, cause and effect, mourn and comfort. But when you look a little deeper, we find some pretty interesting things. The word comfort from the Latin word confortare actually means to strengthen greatly. It's not a meaningless pat on the back. Now, now, don't cry. It's going to be okay with no real reason why. Where you continue to exist with, with this hopeless emptiness. No, Jesus offers us real comfort that fills the emptiness. It's an answer to my question, what is distinct about Christian mourning? And it lies in what Jesus does and who he is and what God promises us when we mourn. He says, you will be strengthened greatly. You will be comforted. But how? How does that happen? Well, we'll look at three quick things here. It happens, first of all, through the presence of God that brings healing forgiveness, and redemption. First and foremost, the key distinctive of a disciple of Jesus who mourns is to know that we have the presence of God with us. Isaiah 41.10 puts it this way. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't remember exactly how. It's been long ago when I opened that letter and experienced that, that deep mourning and that deep loss. But I know that God strengthened me through his presence in the years following the separation of my parents. He was just there for me in so many ways that he strengthened me and he upheld me with his righteous right hand. Now, our initial human condition is that we are, we are finite, we are broken, we are sinful, and because we're sinful, we're separated from God. And that's definitely something that we need to, to wrestle with and examine and let it be a cause for our mourning. 
we would do well to reflect on our sin, admit it, and mourn it. Sin is actually an archery term that means missing the mark, missing the shot, missing the bullseye. Now, no one cheers when we miss the mark, right? I mean, who cheers when their field goal kicker misses the last second field goal and the team loses by two points? Who cheers when your favorite basketball team misses a shot at the last second and you lose by one point? Nobody cheers when we miss the mark, except maybe our enemies or our opponents. But to sin means to have missed the mark. And Jesus says, we need to lament that. We need to mourn it, admit our brokenness, lament it, and then catch this. But then Jesus says, in that moment, you will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you admit your sin, when you lament it, when you mourn it, because he promises us his presence. And his presence brings us forgiveness. His presence makes us strong when we are weak. It gives us forgiveness and healing where we are broken. And where we suffer loss, he offers redemption. Alex Smith experienced this. His story did not end in an amputation, thankfully, and it certainly didn't cause him to lose his life. He began to ask his doctors, if there's a way to save his leg, please try. It was going to be a more difficult way, a more challenging way, but he wanted them to try. And they actually were able to save his leg and stop the infection. But what next? Would he ever walk? Maybe. Would he ever run? Uh, probably not. Would he ever play football again? Absolutely no way is what he was told. But Alex Smith is a guy who doesn't call himself a football player who believes in God. He refers to himself as a child of God that happens to be a football player. And so he believes in a different way and he allows the presence of God to minister to him. And so the kingdom of God, the Jesus way is his top priority. And sometimes the thing about God is that where there seems to be no other way, he can make a way. He can bring redemption out of a darkened future in a way that nobody else thinks is possible. In 2019, Smith got special permission to visit a rehab center devoted to treating injured U.S. special forces, especially men and women who had, who had had limb damage and, and severe injuries. It's a place where they don't take no way for an answer and they push the limits of what they think a human can do. In fact, I love the title of this place. It's called the Center for the Intrepid. It's a place where you can dare to dream again, no matter what you've lost, no matter what you've suffered, you can dare to dream again and chase after it. And for Smith, that was just the right place to be. 20 months later, even though he wasn't a veteran, he received special permission from the Pentagon to go through their program. And 20 months later, he was cleared to return to the NFL and he led the Washington football team to a five and one record. Okay, did you catch that? He, didn't, he, didn't, he not only walked and ran, he played football at the highest level again. He earned his team a spot in the playoffs where eventually they lost to the Tom Brady's, whatever team he's with at the time. They're the Tom Brady's. But the point is that Smith was strengthened greatly after a brief morning. And this is only a tiny, temporary, earthly example of what Jesus can do permanently for us. Now, I'm not saying all stories of mourning will end in this really happy ending like Alex Smith, but it's just an example of when we put our trust in Jesus, he can define our future, even if there seems to be no other way. 
And he can do permanently for us things that will set us on a path of healing and redemption. For someone who grieves their sin, he can, he can set us on a path with his presence and with his power to overcome that sin. Someone who confesses their brokenness and trusts in his promises, he can give us a path to a better future. We're also comforted, we're strengthened greatly, not just by the presence of God through healing and forgiveness, but by the promise of what is yet to come. Jesus comforts us with the truth that our brokenness is temporary and our losses are not final and that all good things will be restored and made new in his coming kingdom. You see, the way of the kingdom isn't just a way to cope with hard life on earth. Jesus wasn't just helping us to make it through with a little bit of coping and a little bit of advice here and there. Jesus actually points us to a coming reality, an impending future, where Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The former things have passed away. You see what Jesus is doing? He's telling us there is a better future still to come. The best is yet to come. So yes, you're mourning now and you're grieving losses and maybe life on this earth will not look the way you had hoped it would look. But be comforted, be strengthened, because the best is yet to come. The question is, will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you embrace Jesus' promise in that moment? See, Jesus dives into our darkness and our pain, and he encourages us to mourn, but only for a while, because he's doing something new, and will be coming back, and will redeem all good things. But you know what's great also is, it's not only him who's coming back, but it's those who we've lost in Christ who will come with him. 1 Thessalonians 4.14, Paul continues, and he says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. This is great comfort. This is real comfort. I remember having a few loved ones die and, and, and realizing their faith in the Lord was, was real and knowing, I know they are now with him. What a great comfort to know that and to know that we will see each other again. We're strengthened and comforted by the promise of what is to come. And lastly, we're, we are comforted, we're strengthened greatly. Why? So that we can comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Let's not forget, it's very clear that one of the purposes of our mourning as a disciple of Jesus is so that we may receive the comfort of God and then be his hands and feet, his arms of embrace to comfort others in the same ways he comforts us. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. They will be greatly strengthened. And because mourning is such a common reality in our broken world, I really appreciate that Jesus said this early on in his ministry. And he's telling us that it's a distinctive of a disciple that you're gonna mourn and you're gonna suffer, but you're gonna mourn differently because I'm gonna be with you. My presence, my power, my forgiveness will be with you. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted 
Jesus will meet you in your mourning and offer you strength and hope beyond what you can imagine. Maybe you've passed a season of mourning. Maybe there's something coming. If you had not experienced some profound loss, there's probably a storm coming that will cause you to experience that. Who will you turn to? Who will you go to? Jesus will meet you there and will bless you and strengthen you in ways that you can't imagine. Maybe you've been comforted like this already. Look for those around you who also need it and offer them the way of Jesus, full of hope, full of strength. And if there's something you've avoided that you need to lament and mourn, maybe this is a good time to ask the Spirit of God to search your heart, to to allow you to break your heart and show you what it is you need to lament and mourn this week. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that your message to us isn't just about positive, encouraging things that that we want to focus on, but your message to us is about real hope where you meet us in the real hard places of our life. And you not only meet us there, you bless us there. You say we are blessed because we will be strengthened greatly, we will be comforted, and we'll be able to comfort others. So I pray, Lord, this morning, if any of us here today are, are, in, are in mourning right now, is there something that we're mourning, Lord? May we do it in the presence of a loving God who forgives, who heals, who restores. Let us not do it alone, but let us do it in your presence and with other believers that we may be strengthened. Or Lord, is there someone here who is, who's negatively been impacted in their future view, Lord, the future looks dark and dim because of an incident that suddenly struck. I pray that they would bring that and lay it at your feet, Lord Jesus, to rest in your promises that you can redeem and that you can point us to a future that is better than what is to come. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone that needs comfort around us, may we pay attention to that and reach out to them and do it in the power of our loving God. In Jesus' name.